You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, I Do. This series works to take a fresh look at matrimony, marital brokenness, and dynamic singleness. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. When I played, uh, when I played Little League, I was one of the best players. And that's not really saying anything because it's Little League, right? And so... I mean, if you, if you could figure out what glove to put the hand on and not chase butterflies out in the field, you're one of the best. Playing shortstop, if I was going to the left, uh, I, I would want to cover second base as well. So I'd like kind of get in the middle. And if I was playing second, I'd want to cover there. And so because I, I wanted to, so I felt like I had to like make up for the other players who were chasing butterflies. And so I'd have to, so I'd play right in the middle, but I'd be, I'd be out of position. And so... Uh, now, my coach didn't like this strategy, but, you know, what did he know? He was a coach, and I was nine years old. I mean, come on. So, um, but one time, one time, I was playing short, and this was happening. It was the playoffs. This is back when Little League kept score. And uh, I, 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 like, went to the middle, and a, a ball was hit, like, perfectly into the shortstop position, but I missed the ball because I was out of position. I wasn't playing my role. And because I wasn't playing my role, we lost a game. We didn't get a trophy. We didn't get ice cream. And I've been getting hate mail ever since. And so, um, now, what I learned is that in baseball, uh, when you know and embrace your role, baseball works best. And here's the truth. When you know and embrace your role in marriage, it works best. And Culture doesn't agree. Culture thinks you can play whatever position you want and still win the game. But the stats paint an absolutely different picture. Uh, we, we all know the divorce stats, and we've kind of grown numb to those stats. But behind that is a lot of broken marriages, broken lives, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of misunderstanding, abuse. And unfortunately, that gets passed down to our kids, or we, you know we've received it from our parents or someone we, we know. And, and so what I want to do today is I want to take us to a passage that is, although highly controversial, is the key uh, to making marriage work. And I just kind of want to put my cards on the table early. Um, uh, while, while messages like this, I think, can bring a lot of healing and hope. I mean, a lot of healing and hope, incredible freedom. But at the same time, they simultaneously uncover and bring to the service tons of pain, tons of hurt, uh, some of you ex- have experienced this pain in your marriage. Um, some of you have experienced this pain uh, through a marriage that was very close to you, or maybe you've experienced this in the season that you're in as a single. Uh, there's lots of pain around this issue that comes to the surface. And I just want you to know, A, I'm aware of that, and B, your elders are aware of that, your community group leaders are aware of that, and they're absolutely praying for you. I'm praying for you. Uh, this, is a, this is a big subject. But I also want to remind you, too, of how we're wired as human beings, beings. Uh, we have defense mechanisms, right? So when you touch uh, something that's hot, you're like, okay, I'm never doing that again. Something comes up to protect you from pain, and that's awesome. You need that. Um, but our defense mechanism goes up in our relationships as well. Uh, when we experience emotional pain or, or relational pain, that'll never happen to me again. And so walls get built and filters get created. You know what a filter is, right? So everything that you experience in life, everything that you see, you see through your own filter based upon that experience, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. And there's never been, a, there's never a topic, if there's ever a topic, I should say, it's going to mess with your filter, it's this one. Um, so I just want you to be aware of that. And, and, and second thing by introduction is that those of us who are new to our Bible, uh, the, the Bible, the gospel transcends every culture. 
because it subverts every culture. And what I mean by that is you have like traditional um, Eastern, Middle Eastern, whatever um, uh, systems of, of thinking that, that find the gospel of grace preposterous. What do you mean turn the other cheek? I, you know, we're eye for an eye. And so the gospel subverts that ideology. And at the same time, you know, Western individual, individualistic culture looks and says, no, 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 authority above my own opinion, that's preposterous. But it subverts, uh, it, subver- it's, it's, it transcends them both because it subverts them both. And here's what like traditional um, conservative legalistic cultures have with liberal secular cultures is that they are both very, very suspicious of the gospel. They look at the gospel and say, well, I don't know about that. And so if, if some of that kind of comes into play today, I just want to encourage you to hang in there, stay with us, and uh, stay with me, I should say. And because, um, you know, we, we've all come from that place of all having to come to this place. Okay, is this, is this the right way to go? Is this not the right way to go? But here's the truth. Uh, there's just tons of brokenness uh, in our culture over relationships and marriage in particular. And uh, so we wanna, I want to invite you to... Um, to dive in with me as we look at this subject. So would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5, if you have one of those black Bibles, that would be page 978. 978. As I was thinking about this topic, I'm like, seriously, I mean, an emotionally distant man talking about the purpose of a wife? I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that? Lots could go wrong with that is the answer Ephesians 5 verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ so we'll, we'll talk about this here in a second but before it talks about um, the the marriage relationship it, it's it's take it's painting a broad picture of mutual submission to one another men, men and women together but then it says specifically wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything. Excuse me, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let me ask you a question. How are your filters doing? I mean, honestly, what, what comes to mind when you hear um, wives submit to your own husbands? What comes to mind when, don't say it out loud, by the way. And so what, what, what comes to mind, um, what comes to mind when you think about uh, what it says, husband is the head of the wife? What po- you know, how, how can human flourishing possibly come from that? Um, I mean, when you say those things, there's like it, something bad comes to mind or something awful comes to mind. Those are like the two choices. I mean, there is a good one, but we don't always see it. And my hope for today is to share, teach a little bit about what this is, what the Bible is actually saying. And, and if I can get you to disengage from your filter just a little bit so we can get through this together. Um, but also just to kind of earth, okay, how does this play out in, in marriage exactly? What does this look like? Because I really do believe that marriage works best when you know and embrace your role. Before, before we do that, I just want to show you how marriage got started. So Genesis 2, you don't need to turn there. It'll, it'll show up on the screen for us. Um, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man, um, to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Not, not a helper like him, but a helper fit for him. God gave Adam a job that he could not do on his own. 
He couldn't do it. So I'm going to make someone um, who will uh, is a helper fit for him. Now, here, here's where our filters kick in again. Because when we think help, when we think helper, we think someone inferior. The Bible does not take this position at all. In fact, this, the, the, the Hebrew word here, ezer, uh, E-Z-E-R, which I know you all know. But that word there... Um, it, it's the same word used to describe how God helps us. So when it says things like God is our uh, ever-present help in time of need, the Bible is not suggesting because God helps us, he's inferior to us. Right? I mean, I th- I, even if you don't believe in the Bible, I think you would, suggest, I think you would agree that, that that's obviously not what's being communicated when the Bible says that God helps us. Secondly, if I was to say to you, hey, come over, can we please come over? I've got some furniture, I've got, a, I've got a move, will you come help me? In asking you to help me, I'm not communicating your weakness, I'm communicating my weakness. You, you have a strength that I don't have. In order for me to do what I need to do, I can't do this on my own. I need a helper fit for me that, that, that provides strength where I am weak. And this is exactly what the Bible is communicating. It's communicating that what God has given man, Adam, to, to do is beyond him. And so he's, he's brought woman along in, to, to be this, in his creative genius, this beautiful picture of complementarian relationship, a helper fit for him, not like him, but fit for him, and making them equal. Uh, Genesis one twenty seven says that both male and female are created uh, in the image of God, uniquely. Uh, if there was ever a question, it, hey, are, are men and women equal? Page one of your Bible says emphatically, yes, they are equal. They are equal in value, dignity, importance, privilege, worth, standing, all those things. They're equal because they're both image of God, but in their role meant to complement each other, not compete against each other. Strength being added to weakness, weakness being added to strength. And to the degree that men and women come together like this in this picture will be to the degree that we will experience a kind of human flourishing that I think our hearts long for because marriage works best when we know and embrace our role. Now, here's what you, filter alert. What you can't think is 1950s, even if you don't even know what the 1950s are. You can't, don't think that. Um, so it's always like, well, you know, yeah, so conservative people will hear this and be like, yeah, exactly. You know, the guy works and the, the wife stays at home in the kitchen. That's, that's the way the Bible never says that. First of all, never says that it's, 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 it's your filter talking to you. It's not the Bible talking to you. That concept is a pre-industrial con, uh, sorry, is a, is a post-industrial concept in the last hundred years. Um, and what I mean by that is, for thousands of years, the work that was given for men and women to do uh, was something they did together. In fact, the whole family was involved. So if they, if they farm, they farm together. If they uh, tan or they uh, made shoes, made leather, they, they did that together. If they, any, the, the, it was something that was done together. Um, it wasn't until like the 1880s or really the turn of the century, the 1900s, uh, where in this this industrial period, uh, where it became very common for the men to work only and the wife to be in the home only, because somebody that somebody would have to go away for two or three months and work in some mine and probably lose a limb, and so they voted and the wife said, "You go," and so that's how that worked out. <laughs> and um, 
because it was, it was really dangerous. And so, now there is a sense to which men are, are I think, have the sense to provide and protect. And I think that's good, and I think that's, I think that's right. But the Bible doesn't, isn't concerned about who does the dishes and who makes more money. It's not the Bible's concern. Uh, my wife is, is way smarter than me, way get more gifted. Um, if I told you our ACT scores, like I did in the first service, which was a mistake, um, you would feel really sorry for me. She's way more gifted than me. And for the record, I would love it if she made more money than me because I, I, there's some things I want to buy. And so um, it would be awesome, let me tell you. But regardless of the division of labor in the home, so th- that's a separate issue. That's not the issue. Should a woman work or not work or whatever? That, that's, a, that's a philosophy of life issue. You've got to work that out. But regardless of the division of labor, this role that God has given to man, gave to Adam in the garden, the created order is for him to lead, to be responsible, to be the head of his house. When men and women know and embrace their role, it's when marriage works best. When they don't, it goes badly. Just ask Adam and Eve. One, chapter one and two, God established and sanctified marriage for our happiness and holiness. Now just, you know, another little time out here, another asterisk to communicate. If you're single here, it does not mean that somehow you're incomplete until you get married. I'm going to talk about singleness specifically next week. But for married and singles, Jesus is our first love. He's our source. Where we go sideways is where we search for the one below and not search for the one above. He's the one. He's the one that we're after. It's Jesus. And so some of us, for his glory and our joy, will be called to a, a lifelong singleness or a season of singleness. And some of us will be called to marriage. God gives these calls these roles and one is no more um is is not less than the other or one is not more than the other god fulfills his his purpose and his glory and his joy through both of those things but having said that he has brought men and women to in marriage in the context of marriage to work together in that way chapter three um we get what's known as the fall and it's in the fall and because of the fall that we're in this relational mess. Eve uh, disobeyed God and, and did not engage her husband um, on a fairly significant decision that affected pretty much all the world forever. And so, um, and Adam went passive and failed to effectively lead and protect his wife. Both failed, both, both sinned. That was, they both did not embrace the roles that they had. Neither of them did that. And enter the curse that God spoke over this, not because it was punishment, but actually protection. And that's another sermon. But let me tell you where, um, let me tell you about that. Genesis 3.16. The curse that came to the woman. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply pain and childbearing. Ladies, is that true? Just in case you didn't hear it the first time. In pain, you shall bring forth children. But here's, here's where I love you, you're awesome, but this is where your heart is curved. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now let me tell you what that means. 
In Arabic, in Arabic, that word means to compel or to seek to control over. So the curse for the woman in marriage is to usurp her husband's leadership. What's saying is saying, look, ladies, God's saying, look, ladies, men are going to be terrible at leading. At leading, They're going to go authoritarian or they're going to be totally passive. And you're going to hate it and there's going to be something in you that's going to want to rise above that. Good luck. That's the curse. If you want to know where the battle of the sexes originated, it's right here. And again, men respond to this in two different ways. They go authoritarian, which means they just rise above. So no matter how, how high the woman takes it, he takes it that much higher. So she raises, he re-raises, raise, re-raise. And in the, in the way he's wired us, uh, uh, just um, you know, stereotypically, men are stronger than women physically, and they just got more chips. So when they go all in, they always outbid the wife, and it is crushing and it is sin that they do that. It is not right or a part of the created order. It is a part of the curse that they do that, and it's wrong. The other response is that he becomes passive. The wife gets stronger and stronger, and the man gets weaker and weaker. I got some sneers and jeers a few, two weeks ago when I slipped in the female pronoun when I was talking about the do- dominant partner. So when I said, hey, you know, sometimes she could be the dominant partner. Oh, you haven't seen what I've seen. You haven't been in the counseling appointments I've been in. I've been in counseling appointments where she presses harder and harder and harder. He pulls back further and further. And this guy checked out a long time ago. Checked out a long time ago. In the worst cases, I've been in these, uh, in these situations, and the wife, and excuse me, the husband can't even look me in the eye. He's been so beaten down. He's off all sense of respect or confidence. Won't even look me in the eye. I remember a few years ago, um, one such case. I just felt Holy Spirit prompt me just to give, just, I mean, I mean like a basic compliment. I'm, I'm just saying basic. And when I said this guy, I just broke down and cried. So beat down was this man um, from what his wife had to say. Um, and that's the two ways that men go really authoritative or they just, get, they just check out. And it is amazing to me. I am amazed at the power that God has given women in what they say. It is, it is astounding. Um, Proverbs 14, 1 says this, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hand tears it down. I, I, I take no joy in quoting that verse, but I can tell you it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. The words that you use in trying to influence your husband to go in a different direction, can, you're trying to build, but it actually just tears it down. Let me, provide, let me give you a little insight on men. Men are born providers and protectors. They want to fight. They want to fight for you. They want to, they want to do that, but they only, fight, they only fight battles that they can win. So if, you're, if your way of motivating him is you never do this and you always do this, okay, remind me why I should do it then if I never do this and I always do this. And you think that, the, I mean, again, God has given you serious power. You, you can tear down 
You can tear down your husband. You can tear down your house with what you have to say. And God's going to straight up say to this guy, bro, I'm sorry. It's better that you live in a desert and die than be in this relationship. Sorry about that. Um, last week I joked about how it's hard to hurt my feeling, right? Remember that? And, um, like, I really do have thick skin. Like, I, I really, I, I, I really do. And I learned a long time that you have to have thick skin to, to, to preach God's word. You just do. Um, sometimes you get high five, sometimes you get the finger, literally. And, um, people leave and they're not nice about it. I mean, just aren't. They, they say a lot of really mean things. And, and the thing for me, I'm always like amazed. I'm like, it's incredible how confident you are with what you're saying to me right now. It's amazing. Like, I, I mean, I get that it hurts me, but I'm actually more amazed that you would have such courage. It's impressive, actually, at some level. So I, I, you ha- I have thick skin, but my thick skin melts away with my wife. She can absolutely destroy me. It, it just, she absolutely can destroy it. She knows every weakness, bent, shortcoming, so her words can bring me to my knees. Um, now, when my wife gets, like, in affirming, edifying mode, I mean, I, like, roll over like a puppy and, like, yeah, scratch me more. I mean, just, like, right here, right here. I need some more of that. And it's still, I mean, it's the way I am anyway. I th- and I think guys are like that, too. And one of my many undeserved blessings is my wife is amazing at building me up in saying things to me, even hard things to me, because I need to hear that. I mean, I mean, please hear me. In in being in, in the husband leading, it, it has no it has no bearing on whether or not. Um, I mean, women need to speak up. They need to communicate their ideas. They need to they need to say, "I think we should go in this." They need to say all of those things, and my wife does. But when she does it, she does it. Um, she does it in a really great way. What she doesn't do, she didn't come. So, like recently. Um, you know, summer has a way of messing with your rhythm. And so I gotten off rhythms of really, uh, discipling our little kids and, 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 and leading them spiritually and bringing them into the scriptures and, and praying for them, What she didn't do. So she came to me and approached me about that. But what she didn't do is she didn't come up to me and say, Hey, why do you hate our kids? You, I mean, do you want them to be damned for all eternity? Is that what you want? Um, why do you suck so bad? Why do you, um, <laughs> None of that happens, but what she does is she just talks to me about the opportunities in our kid's life. She talks to me about what's going in the heart of Josie. She talks to me about the behavior that she's, she sees in Simon and in Ella and what's coming around the bend, something that I'm not paying attention to. And she just simply says, what do you think? It's her way of saying, bro, I, I get that the church thing is going well, but you've gotten off here. You need to kind of bring it back in over here in the home a little bit in a very respectful way. Or sometimes she'll be even a little bit shady about it. So she'll say something like, you know, you know, hey, Brian, you know, like, you know, so she'll play to my ego. Brian, um, you know, it says in the Psalms that one generation shall communicate the glory of God to the next generation. What does that mean? Like, like I was talking to my friend the other day, and uh, I, what, what, can you tell me what that means? And, I, and, and so I get what she's just, so I'll say, okay, this is what it means, and I'm sorry, okay? And so I know what you're trying to do here. You're trying to bring me back in. And she does it in a good way, because... Um, man, I'm telling you, ladies, you have more power, way more power than you think. There's a respectful way to engage your husband that the scriptures will call you to. So what is that word actually? So we're talking about what does it mean to submit? What, is it, what does that word mean? Because um, it sounds like a, a terrible word. 
it, the Greek word there is hupotasso. It's a military term which means to subordinate oneself. It's this idea of placing yourself under someone else's authority. And this is something you do voluntarily. It's not something someone makes you do. Uh, and, and, and I want to point us to the broader picture. Um, to submit or to yield is a decision that a godly person, I'm talking male or female now, is a godly person does in all of their relationships. So in verse 21, it, I mentioned this to you, it talks about mutual submission before it talks about the, the, how the, the, the dynamic in the husband-wife play, plays out. So the Christian is someone who's called to live a yielded life. The Christian is someone who's called to live a submitted life. Why? Why would I do that? Because that's how Christ lived. So it says that, that Jesus, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Oh, what, Jesus, you don't have a mind of your own? I, no, no, I only do what I see the Father doing. He didn't just place himself under God's authority, because that makes a lot of sense. He placed himself under human authority. The God of the universe placed himself underneath human authority. But, but what, if it, what, if, what if you get abused? What if, it, what if you get rejected? What if those things can happen? Well, it happened to him. Now, he was so clear. No one takes my life away. I lay it down willingly. I've not come to be served. I've come to serve and give away my life as a ransom. What, the, the banner over the life of the Christian should be yielded and submitted. Yielded and submitted. So we talked about this in First Peter. I won't re-preach the whole series, but... We're, we're, to, we're to submit to government authority. Why? Because they're awesome? No. We're to do that out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents because your parents get it right every time. I eh, make a few mistakes. We, out of reverence for Christ. Employees. Submit to your bosses. Why? Because they're great bosses? So you can get a paycheck? No. That's not why you do it. You do it out of reverence for Christ. We're just to live these submitted, yielded lives. So if you ever come to a four-way intersection and like everyone's like at the same time with four other people, four-way intersections are, are a terrible idea. The, um, you get four, peop- four cars coming the same time and no one knows what to do. It's like, oh, you go, you go, you go, you go. And then finally somebody in a truck just says, forget it, I'm going to go. And so that's what happens. And, and so what, what the Bible is communicating is like, you know, your whole, if you're a Christian, your whole life is, is meant to be like deferring. No, you go. You before me. You go. You go. You go. That we voluntarily place ourselves under other people's authority. That we voluntarily place ourselves. We yield. We submit. That, that's meant to characterize. That is a godly attribute. I, I, I get it. You're looking at me crazy. It, I get it that it's not an att- a, a value or quality that we aspire to in our culture. I get that. Again, the gospel subverts all cultures. And so this is meant to characterize all believers. But when, it, when, he, but when he gets down into the husband and wife, when it comes to the, the, the marriage relationship, husband and wife relationship, in God's creative genius that doesn't always make sense to us, the wife is called to yield to her husband. And when, now hear me, now when this partnership is working well, and doesn't always work well, but when it's working well, the husband is going to absolutely place the wife's needs before his own. 
He's going to seek to give her preferential treatment. He's going to seek to understand and love her. Um, and so practically, in a biblically functioning home, when a wife's God, this is a godly attitude, when a wife's godly attitude and desire is to yield to her husband is often declined by the husband's desire to put her first. So you're coming, at the, you're coming all at the intersection at once. And somebody has to go. So the, a godly attitude for a wife is to say to the husband, no, you go. And, and a husband, 99 times out of 100, is going to say, you know what? You go instead. That's what it's going to look like most of the time. Where the, uh, the, the attitude of the wife to yield is going to be declined by her husband's desire to prefer his wife and to build her up. Um, so like my wife and I were talking about this, I mean, there could be like a hundred decisions that, you know, last hundred decisions that we've made. And when we think about that, like 50 out of the hundred, it's just like, we just, you know, what do you want to do? I want to do this. I wanna, we will both agree simultaneously. Decision takes two seconds. Um, 49 out of a hundred, uh, there will be a difference of opinion. Uh, but it, what it comes down to, I, it would be kind of a preference thing, like what I prefer versus what she prefers. 49 out of 100, I would say, hey, whatever you want to do, Rach. One out of 100, where we would disagree, I would say, I think, I think we should go right, she thinks we should go left, and I would say, I think if we go left, that'll go bad for us, and I think if we go right, this will be the right, this will be the good thing, this will be what's best for you and I and our family, and I, and I have a sense maybe even that God's calling us to go here. One out of a hundred, she would, she would have to feel that tension of, do I yield or do I not yield? Now, just to be clear, I mean, how this plays out is like, um, you know, this is something that we're processing together. I mean, again, I, I am firmly aware of my own uh, uh, ineptness. I am firmly aware that I desperately need her. Um, She's, she's smarter relationally than I am. She's smarter, smarter than I am. <laughs> Hence that phrase I just, little nugget, little Twitter nugget I threw out there for you. Be gentle, be kind, be gentle. Um, I need that. I'd be stupid. Uh, not to mention ungodly if I just ignored that. So when she says, whoa, I'm not like, hey, you know, we got to go anyway. Um, I'm saying, okay, maybe there's something you're saying here. I, I, I stay firm in what I sense God's saying. So I say, okay, let's slow this down. You go pray. I'll go pray. Let's figure this out. What are you feeling? What are you seeing? I, I don't just, and I don't just ask her to line up her Jepson so I can just knock them down. But I honestly want to know what's, what's happening. And I honestly want her to process. And when we move, there's been, it's usually around moving. I remember... Oh, I guess it was 10 years ago now, uh, before we bought the building that we're in right now. Um, I said, hey, wherever we buy a building as a church, I just feel like we should go move down by that building. And so we, we found this building and bought it. And so it was time to go look for houses. And we went around looking for houses. And after, and after the first day of looking for houses, she just, she just started crying. Okay, so what I didn't do is like, get over it. We're moving anyway. It's not what I did. Um, I, first of all, is empathy, sense of loss. There's a way that she's built, and I, I'm built a way that she's not built. 
which is, you know, we move and it takes like a guy like three seconds to get over whatever emotion is in there. I mean, they get over, uh, you know, oh, just, you know, see friends as fun. Oh, yeah, I'll just get new friends. Oh, you like football? Me too. Okay, let's be friends. Oh, not? Okay, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> For her, it's just, it's a much bigger deal. So if I'm going to understand that and lead her in that, even if I feel like this is the right way to go, I'm going to understand what she's going through. Age, I mean, one, just not to be a jerk, but secondly, to like, maybe, I'm, maybe I, am, I'm, I feel this is right, but maybe I'm missing something here. And so we'll engage on that. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy being the kind of husband that God's called us to be, husbands. We, we take responsibility for things, even things that aren't our fault. We love in a sacrificial way. We do. We do prefer what she wants over what we want. Unless it's going against uh, uh, the direction that God has for our families, then we, then we throw the flag. But that's rare, and it's hard. I'm going to bring up Abby Nadalny, someone um, I have a lot of respect for. She's a very gifted. Can you welcome Abby for me? I'm so, like, I just have a lot of honor for her. She's a very uh, gifted uh, businesswoman, leader. I mean, she's an architect, like, what we do for J-Kids and all of our locations and just have a tremendous amount of respect for her. And she's got ambition. And so maybe if you're, um, you know, if you're, as a wife, you're thinking, well, I've got things I want to do with my life and I'm not just interested, you know, I want, I've I've got ambition separately. I mean, Abby's uh, in that case. I just asked her if she would just share Uh, what God's done in her life and heart around this issue. Yeah, we definitely struggled early on for a long time. And I think what I saw as my role as a fairly strong wife and feeling like I had a strong voice is that every time my husband didn't get it right or as we were making decisions, I actually felt like I needed to help him either point out where he was wrong or where he was off or help make that decision. I felt like I've got a voice and I need to be able to share. And what I found actually was first... God brought me to this place where I realized I'm not actually meant to be his Holy Spirit. And what was happening in my heart was a greater reflection, not only of my lack of trust, trusting my husband, but actually my lack of trusting God, trusting that God was for me, that he had good things for me, and actually that he was much bigger than um, my husband leading us. And so as God brought me to that place of really recognizing what was going on in my own heart, um, I was able to freely step back and say, okay, and really mean it, I trust you. Whether my husband was getting it right or not wasn't the question. It was actually more of, am I willing to trust God? And as I stepped away from needing to be this wife that's going, lead me, lead me, but let me tell you how, and if you don't get it right, then I'm going to tell you why you're off. I was able to say, okay, God, I trust you. And because of that, I can lovingly follow him. And I was able to say, um, for some of the first times in our marriage, I trust you. Even when I didn't agree with something, and, you know, we talked it out. I could, I could peacefully defer and say, you know what, I trust you. And in myself doing that, I found actually, um, instead of having combat this drippy wife who's trying to correct and 
challenge um, my husband constantly. He was listening to the Holy Spirit and being led and able to actually really love me in a way that freed me. I found things being able to come out of me that were beautiful and good that I didn't even know that were there because I was submitting first to God, um, which freed up my husband. And then also as a result, I've just seen him grow and flourish because instead of combating that drippy wife that's fighting him in everything, he's actually been able to freely loving um, and serve and lead our family in ways that he couldn't when he was combating me. (laughs) So we're still definitely in process. I feel like, you know, God's constantly working on us. Um, but there was something significant that he had to do in my heart first. Thank you. There's a, there's a key part in her testimony and also that connects with this text. It's really, really important, which is the motivation for wanting to do this in the first place. Um, Sometimes husbands make this um, not difficult. I won't say easy, but not difficult. We'll go there. Uh, and sometimes it's just like, why in the world would I do this? And the reason why you would do this is, as the text says, out of reverence for Christ or as unto the Lord. Um, and, and so husbands are called to, to function a certain way as a husband independently of his, how his wife treats him. Or responds in the marriage, and the and the and the wife is called to to respond and to act in a certain way, regardless of how the husband. Is. Now, I, I know there are extreme circumstances like physical abuse, and I just, please don't. I'm, I'm not glossing over that. I know that that's real, and so I'm not talking about that. I mean, if there's if there's physical abuse happening in your relationship, you need to, you need to leave. Uh, you need, if you're in this church, you need to call the elders. If you're not in this church, you need to call the police. Uh, so, but, so, so I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, like, if, so if it, I'm not talking about physical abuse, and I'm not talking about extreme emotional abuse. I'm just talking about just the ins and outs of marriage are, are difficult. They're challenging. Um, uh, but, I mean, because some, I mean, some of you wives are like, well, how do I do this? Because my wife is, I'm, excuse me, my husband is not... Um, you know, he, I don't see him as someone I can respect and follow. I mean, he's more caveman than man. I mean, he's barely bipedal. I mean, I looked at the evolutionary chart. He's three left of homo sapien. I mean, from, like when he's walking around, he's like his knuckles drag on the ground. I mean, it's like, how am I supposed to respect him? You don't respect your husband out of reverence for your husband. You respect your husband out of reverence for Christ. And there is a provision, ladies. There is a provision that God has given you to change your husband. I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about it actually for both husbands and wives. Uh, this section about husbands and wives is part of a bigger section about how we genuinely love each other. Like, what is an environment, what is an atmosphere uh, for, for love and respect? And in verse 18, we get the key for that. Um, Verse 18, if you just kind of go up a few verses with me in, in the scriptures, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, which is what we all want to do when our wives, our husbands treat us a certain way, but be filled with the Spirit. When you want to escape, when you want to just to all be in, you know, just to be done, you know, don't, don't divulge yourself. Don't get drunk on wine, but instead tap into what it means to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit is just a multi... It's multifaceted, but one of the key things, the key ministries of the Holy Spirit 
is to remind you that you are loved ones in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, John 16, Ephesians 3. That being filled with the Holy Spirit is, just, is like an overload of the love of God. The Puritans said it like this. They're like when, when they were filled with the Spirit, they said it's like, it's like liquid love crashing on our souls. Just wave after wave after wave. That God wants to overflow your heart with his love. And so that you can do what uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, calls love philanthropy. That you can love in a philanthropic way. Uh, when you do philanthropy, you do benevolence, you give to people without any expectation in return. Right? You just, and the reason why you're able to give that way is because you're, you're getting an excess from another source. And so you're able, to, you're able to give in a philanthropic way. You know, God wants you to love like that. God wants you to have the ability to do love philanthropy. To, to love people without any expectation of anything in return. How, how could you do that? Because you're getting an excess from another source. And you'll have love and love to spare. Which means that your, um, your spouse met or not be the main source of your love. What if you, what if, what if you loved God more than anyone? What if that was the relationship that, you're, that you were looking to, to really fill your soul? You weren't looking to others. You weren't looking to your spouse. You weren't looking to someone that you hoped would be your spouse. Because it, it, your mother and father will forsake you, but God will never forsake you. He will impart into your soul love and love despair. So when, when you're not receiving from others that you want to receive, and I would say you even need to receive, you're not going to grow bitter. You're not going to grow angry. Because it is true. I mean, culture is half right when it says that you can't love unless you're being loved. So love yourself. That's where they go wrong. Because if I'm to love myself, I don't even have enough love in myself to love myself. That makes sense. It doesn't to me either, but it, it does eventually. Um, so we have to receive from an outside source love from God. The source who is love. God is love. And if we're tapping into that, we'll have love in love despair. We'll be able to love our spouse without expecting anything in return. By the way, this works in all relationships. Jesus was the ultimate spouse. He made us, created us, but we turned from him. But what did Jesus do? Well, he didn't go, well, you're not the spouse I thought you'd be. I'm out. But rather, he came to us and died for us. On the cross, when he looked down and saw us being terrible spouses, mocking him, rejecting him, betraying him, killing him, in one of the greatest acts of spousal love in all of history, he stayed. Until his last breath, he stayed. And remained faithful to us, loving us unconditionally. And when you know that God loves you that much... And he sent his spirit to remind you that he loves you that much. You'll have love and love to spare. You'll be able to do love philanthropy. You'll be able to say, yeah, I've got love for you, and i got love for you, and i got love for you. And you are taking from me and taking from me and taking from me. That's okay, because i got love and i got love to spare for you. Men need respect and women need love. 
in God's wisdom, he has made provision for that in wisdom. Men, if you're not getting the respect that you feel like you need, get an overdose of the Holy Spirit who will remind you of your heavenly status. And you won't need anyone to affirm you because you've been affirmed by the God of the universe. And you'll be able to do love philanthropy with your wife, even if she's not respecting you. And that is the provision that God has given you to change your wife by loving her as God has loved you. And and wives, if you're not being loved like you hoped, like you expected something different, get an overdose of the Holy Spirit who will remind you that you are infinitely loved by the one who is loved. You'll have direct feed from that source. No, a direct feed from love, and it'll cause you to respect your husband in a philanthropic way. And that is the provision that God has given you to change your husband. To respect him, even when he's not respectable. Because you're so full of God's love that you'll have respect and respect to spare. Marriage works best. When we know and we embrace our role. There's a lot warring against us. The sin of others. Our own sin. But if we look to him. And we're quick to repent. And we're quick to receive. What God has to give us. We'll be able to treat each other in a benevolent way.